Welcome to the Working Moms Podcast, featuring inspiring stories and resources for the modern working mom. I'm your host, Pamela Moss, estate planning attorney, mom, and owner of Law Mother. All right, welcome to the Working Moms Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about effective communication in a family law case. Welcome. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Gennett Johnson. I'm an attorney and I own Johnson Law Group. We practice family law, which essentially is divorce and custody in Colorado. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy you're here, Gannett. And before we kind of jump into your background, I would love to kind of start off with your top tip for working moms. My top tip would be to be merciful to yourself. It is very difficult, and I'm not going to say that it isn't, but you can do it. Um, And I think it comes down to boundaries. So figure out when you really need to get your work done and reach out to your support system to get them to help you as much as possible while you are in your zone. Um, Because if you're anything like me, if I'm in my zone and something distracts me, I get really, really frustrated. Um, So I try to project that by saying, these are the times when I need to get this work done. Would you help me by doing X, Y, Z? And if it works, great. If it doesn't, at least I tried. And I have another chance tomorrow. I love that. And boundaries are so important. And it's sometimes so scary to set those. And I imagine that boundaries is a little bit that's involved with effective communication too in a family law case. But before we get there, um, I'd love to hear about your background. And did you always know you were going to be an attorney? Kind of what, tell us about your journey to the law practice. Yes. So it's been fairly linear, I would say. I've always liked speech and debate. And I used to do plays in my church and I just always liked being out um, expressing myself. There were some periods where I struggled with it a little bit, um, but I I got back on the path of wanting to advocate and speak my mind. And so after college, I was kind of grappling between going into um, getting my master's in history, which was my undergrad degree in going to law school. So that was tough, but um, I talked to a lot of attorneys and I talked to a lot of historians and um, just compared it to what I wanted out of my life. And although I still love history and and love reading that that field, um, I was like, all right, I think this is more in tune with what I've always wanted to do in my heart since I was young, which is to really fight for other people. Um, I love that. And Um, kind of picturing those conversations with historians versus lawyers and how they might have been different had my imagination really going. Um, But uh, so kind of how did you get into family law? Did you start out in family law and law school? Did you start out in your career in that? How did you become passionate about that? Yeah, so I went to CU Law School, which was a really good experience. And um, when I was a, was I a 2L or 3L? My gosh, I don't even remember when I was, um, when I took clinic, but I did the civil practice clinic and I had some family law cases, which were all in Boulder County District Court. 
And it was a great experience. Uh, we had the supervision of the professor to help guide us because we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, but it was like a safe space to have clients and have difficult conversations and learn the fundamentals of family law. So it was a really good way um, to introduce myself into the field. And then when I started JLG, um, we weren't doing 100% family law. Um, I was actually doing primarily employment law, which I still love. And there's such a need for really fierce employment law attorneys. Um, but uh, I, my husband, Miles, joined me and he always pretty much knew he wanted to do family law since he um, graduated from CU as well. And he was taking on family law clients and I was watching how that was going. And I was like, wow, I need to be going into this area. Um, I feel like there's more of a personal connection and I'm helping families going through a very rough period. So it was just, it made sense for me um, even before I had kids because it's just so relevant to everyday life. And you mentioned your husband, he's a lawyer as well, and you're in business together, right? Yes. And he, how is that? It's good. It's good. It's not for everyone, but it <laughs> works for us. <laughs> we get along really well. We, we have actually pretty different personalities. Um, he, he just can, he just has this natural extroverted nature and I'm more of an introvert. I can be outgoing, like I enjoy talking to people, but my natural inclination is to kind of be more quiet and do more thinking before I, I speak. So um, we work really well together and we respect each other and we have a fabulous team of people um, and, and they are truly what makes G JLG, which is our team. That's great. And so kind of diving into effective communication in a family law case, first of all, why is, um, if people are listening and they are going through a divorce or they're thinking about going through a divorce, why is effective communication so important? It is really, really important. I would actually dare to say that it will dictate the experience, how parties communicate with each other, they're soon to be ex, their children, if they have children, their attorney, if they're represented, the judge, the, you know, the clerks, all of these opportunities to communicate about the case, which is about their lives and their futures. Um, and how all those conversations are navigated, merit planning, you know, and I don't mean like writing everything out and being too formulaic with it, but just having an idea of what your goal is with a particular conversation or particular communication. Because I think where people can stray off and go left is where they just start speaking from their emotions, which is, tr is important to heal. I think you, you need to be able to speak out and maybe it's not polished and maybe it comes off a certain way than you intended, but um, when you're having conversations about the case, whether or not it's, it doesn't matter who it's with, I would always recommend planning out what you want to say, what you want to get out of the conversation, but also being aware of our own, our own weaknesses, our own wounds that may um, impair our ability to see the things objectively, because we all have those. 
So I kind of, you've said so much great stuff there and I kind of want to break it down a little bit. And so kind of just if, if someone's listening and they're thinking about going through a divorce, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of emotions. Um, there's a lot of questions and they're stressed about it. And what would your advice be um, as far as when it comes to the communication piece? So you mentioned you want to be thoughtful. You want to plan things out. You want to be objective. You want to kind of step away from those emotions. Do you have any kind of set tips for how they should do that um, in specific situations, kind of depending on the stage that they're in? Yeah. So in the beginning, I would say in a divorce with children, um, other than the decision to file, which is a huge decision, and sometimes people decide to file, they file, and then they decide they're not ready for it. And so we dismiss the case. And maybe they come back and maybe they don't. But the decision to file is by far the most important. And so it deserves the most time and effort to figure out, is this really the path I want to take? Have I exhausted all other avenues? Um, because this is going to be a permanent change to the family structure. So when we see people who aren't sure if they want to move forward or change their minds, um, it may be because they weren't um, able to take the time all the time necessary to be sure about their decision. And that's not a bad, bad thing. Um, and, and I never assume that someone is ready to, to go all the way. Um, but I, it is important to make sure that you are checking in with yourself regularly, even after you file. Um, so that's a really big decision. And then of course, telling the children if they're children, uh, what's going to be happening, how this is going to change their day-to-day -day lives, where will they be sleeping? You know, will they have to change schools? Uh, how is it all gonna work practically? And I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that must be to explain to children and for the children to understand. So um, the only thing I can really say is to, like I said before, in another context, to be merciful with yourself. You've never been through this before and there's no textbook way to do it. But as long as you're, you know, taking the time to self-examine, am I still doing this for the reasons that, um, am I doing this for the right reasons? Do I feel okay about um, the direction I'm taking in light of things that have happened in my past. Um, so just kind of really checking in with yourself, checking in with your children, um, rehabilitation. Um, therapy is a very good idea for everyone if that's a possibility. And if it's not a possibility, a journal is a very, very good way to keep tabs on your feelings, your emotions, and again, thinking about strategic communication. Um, so that that's always um, in the forefront of your mind as to what my goals are at each stage of this case. And you mentioned this idea of strategic communication. Why is it important? So we talked about like before you make the decision to file, that's the most important, one of the most important decisions. And then, then how to communicate it to your children. And then once a case has started, you need to be strategic about how you're communicating for a lot of different right reasons, I'm guessing, right? For your own sanity and health for the health of your children, but also for the case. Um, what, what is the strategy that you should be thinking of? So one thing I tell people a lot is once you file a case, you are under a microscope. And that's just how it is. 
Um, once the court has personal jurisdiction over parties, they're going to be interested in what's been happening as long as it you know falls under the legal standards and it's relevant to be discussed in the context of the case. Um, always think about what I'm feeling right now before I speak it. Is it possible that in the future, you know, if this comes up again, will I be able to stand by that? You know, can I defend that? And if you're not sure, then that's an internal conversation that should continue before you say something that you might regret. Um, so always um, kind of being aware of that is very important. And um, I mean, it, it's so hard for me to tell people how to feel because it's, it's something that's very personal to them. So, you know, what we do often is just to remind them that what's discoverable, you know, what the court deems is relevant to the case, that's going to be analyzed. So in that vein, you know, I, I would say that keep most of your communication in writing, but writing itself, you know, can be can be problematic if it's something that um, is deemed relevant and could make a judge look poorly upon a parent as far as their ability to, you know, protect and um, be aware of what's in the child's best interests or, um, you know, if it's a different standard to meet that standard. So I guess the best combination, you know, when you have to have a difficult conversation with the other party, for example, if they're on the terms that would allow them to have a phone conversation, that would be good. But um, if not, be very careful about what you write and what you convey. And of course, if you have an attorney, that'll go through your attorney. But um, writing is typically best, but again, it has those challenges of being reviewed at a later time by someone in a black robe who will never meet you and has probably 500 cases on their docket and, and won't really understand the nuances of what's happened before your court hearing. Um, so just really taking the time to consider what you want to convey and how it may be perceived negatively in the future um, if you don't really put uh, enough thought into what you're saying. Is, um, is there common mistakes that you see? Like if someone or here, if there's someone listening, they're maybe at the point where they're thinking of filing for divorce, they haven't spoken with an attorney yet. Um, should they come speak with an attorney right away before they kind of move forward? Because kind of hearing what you're saying, there's, there's a lot of things to be mindful of that if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know, right? So what would right. your what are the some of the mistakes that you commonly see that people should be aware of? Yes, good question. Um, I would say the main thing would be to save, um, how would I put this? It's technically called dissipating marital assets, but um, moving money, you know, or, or going to Vegas and blowing $15,000. Maybe you're already separated and um, you feel that you can defend it in some way similar to being separated. You have different accounts, but that could be considered dissipating marital assets. Um, and, and if you're doing that, that means that you have considered divorce and you, whether or not you've talked to an attorney, uh, if the other party can prove that you guys have discussed this or um, other factors are at play that would lead a reasonable person to think that 
divorce is likely. Um, that's all going to be revealed and discussed and um, probably will have a factor in how the final orders are issued, right? So money, money, money is a big thing. Uh, moving money, not having conversations about it, and assuming that it will be okay um, because you guys are separated um, is not necessarily the case. Okay, so one big thing to think about is if you're contemplating it, if you've discussed it, don't start moving money. <laughs> That's uh, not a good idea. Um, yes. And don't necessarily put things in writing about the money or make assumptions about the money. Um, any other mistakes that you tend to see as far as, you know, the communication that can go wrong or Yes. Um, some people, maybe they don't have a friend or a confidant to talk about their marital issues or their relationship issues. So they turn to their children. And um, I understand why that's a need for some people. Um, you know, maybe their children are teenagers. Maybe they have a close relationship with them. But it's always, always a bad idea to talk to your children about what you're going through when it relates to the other parent. Because if, you know, if it's a marriage, that's their daddy or that's their mommy. It's going to be hard for them to see their parent the same way, um, you know, you might if um, there's an issue. And that will just create some conflict, confusion. Um, it could also rise to the level of emotional harm to the child. I'm talking about the case or the relationship to the point where they don't know who to side with. They don't know really what anything means anymore. Their whole vision of their family is being, you know, challenged. So it's it's always a good idea to find someone else to talk to. Um, it, great if it were a therapist, because um, there, there are tons of therapists who specialize in um, important life changes like divorce, who can really help um, a person get perspective on what is to be expected emotionally, and also how this might impact their family. So that's a so, great, that's yeah, a great, great tip. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of an echo. I'm going to mark this time down <laughs> to edit it out. Um, so that's a great tip, you know, thinking through what, be mindful of what you say in front of your children, how it's going to impact them, how it's going to impact the case, how it's going to ultimately impact um, you and the family together as a whole. Um, any other specific tips as far as effectively communicating in family law cases? Yes, slow down, slow down. Um, when our hearts are beating fast and we're agitated, it's very easy to lose control and say things we don't mean or um, take things maybe more personally than they were intended. And so when we slow down, we can really check in with ourselves and you know if we do the work of understanding our triggers in communications then we can understand when we feel triggered and if need be depart the conversation you know very few conversations need to be finished to the end one example would be you're testifying um, you need to continue your thought you cannot just excuse yourself and um, take a break even though i'm sure Many people have wanted to, but when you're in a, an informal conversation, if you don't feel like it's effective or maybe the person is just oblivious to boundaries, a lot of people are, um, really don't understand what boundaries are, why they're important, and 
probably they have an agenda before the conversation even starts to get you to admit something or to get you to feel a certain way negatively. Um, and you don't want to be trapped into that. So just always understanding what am I not willing to hear? For example, for me, it's curse words. I'm not willing to hear that. Um, I, I don't really care what the context is. It's not necessary. And if it devolves into that direction, I'll, I'll let the person know that I, I can't continue this conversation. It's no longer productive. It's getting personal. I feel attacked. And just knowing that myself, I feel a sense of comfort because I know that if a conversation ever gets to that point, I can tell them that I can't continue. But if I hadn't done the work prior to that, and now I'm hearing all types of words that I don't want to hear, what am I going to do? Am I going to say it back to them? Am I going to get really upset and it's going to ruin my week? Um, hopefully not, because I know that that's not acceptable to me. So just kind of understanding triggers, boundaries, and not being afraid to defend them. Um, it's going to go a huge way um, when navigating difficult conversations. And, you know, when, um, when people are going through divorces, um, you know, there's a lot of effective communication, com communication with their, the spouse that they're divorcing, communication with their children. And then one that we haven't talked about is communication with their lawyer. And is there any specific advice around that specifically? That's a really good question. Um, every attorney has their own approach to communication. And um, for our firm, you know, we do require a response within 24 hours to clients because, you know, if you look at the legal trends reports, communication is usually up there in the things that potential clients are looking for from their attorneys. And, you know, it's difficult for some firms to, to do that for various reasons. There are many cases, um, maybe there are issues going on at the firm. But um, if you feel confident about your attorney as a person, as an advocate, um, that's great. But also, you know, you'll want to have a conversation about communication. You know, what is there a policy that your firm has about um, communication, the response times that I can expect to receive? And also, you know, it's usually a good idea to, in line with what we're talking about, um, have a, a, an email that you send to your attorney, maybe your, your questions for the week or whatever, whatever it is, have it be substantive. And then um, once, the, once the attorney receives that, you, know, you can schedule a phone call to discuss all those issues in detail. And the benefit of that is you got all your thoughts out on paper, you sent it to your attorney, and then when you have the actual conversation about it, it's via phone. Um, you can understand, you know, more behind what they're saying because you hear their voice. The tone is easily decipherable, um, you know, which is difficult with email. And then afterwards, you know, maybe the attorney will send a follow-up email or maybe you will send a follow-up email. But just that combination of those things is, is usually the most effective way to convey um, complex information with your attorney. So, you know, if that's not happening with your attorney, it's a great idea to suggest it. Say, hey, is it okay if I send you this email with my, my issues, my concerns, and then we schedule a, a follow-up phone call. And um, I, I always love to hear that and I love to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised if more attorneys, um, you know, once prompted would be happy to do that too. Those are great tips. And, you know, if 
so if things have gone awful, right? So if, um, you know, maybe someone comes to you and their communication with their ex-spouse has gone horribly wrong and everything um, is kind of off the rails, um, is there hope? And what kind of advice would you have with someone who, you know, is really dealing with a difficult divorce and a difficult partner on the other end? Um, I would say to slow down on the communication with the other party. If it's gone to the point where every time there's communication, it's negative and high conflict, you need to press pause. Um, and maybe they'll get to the point where they can communicate in a civil way. But um, I would say at the beginning, the civility is probably going to be higher just because this is new and scary for both parties. So if that gets to a negative direction, you know, the civility starts going down, don't wait till it's at rock bottom to try to change up how you communicate with this person, because by then, it could it could have a, a very negative impact on the case. You know, maybe a motion is filed that it's unfounded or it's founded, and now there could be some temporary orders that um, neither party was really expecting, and it all stemmed from an unnecessary incident that could have been avoided if the communication was different or you know halted and just through their attorneys if they have attorneys. Well, these are great tips. These are great tips for a divorce, but also just for life, right? Slow down, <laughs> know your triggers, think about what you say and, and how it's going to impact someone. I think um, there's so much that our audience, even people who, you know, aren't in that situation can take away for just having difficult conversations in general with anyone in your life um, to really take that time. So this has been so, so helpful. I always kind of end with, um, what is your legacy? What is the legacy you are building? Oh, wow. What a big question. <laughs> I would hope, um, you know, when others are asked that of me, they might say that uh, I care. I care about others, um, that I sacrifice my time to help them through a rough period. And um, that would be my hope. Um, but it's really just about enjoying life. There, the job is, is difficult and life is difficult as it is. So just finding things that we can control that will give us the, the small joys and the partial victories as we navigate life is so worth it. And, um, you know, it, it really comes down to that for me. Well, thank you for people listening. If they want to find you, get in contact with you, what is the best way for people to learn about you and your law firm? Yes, they can visit our website. It's www.johnsonlgroup.com. And we just redid it. I'm, I'm excited about it. And um, you'll get to see um, about our history and the type of work we do. But we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Great. And I'll include all those in the show notes. Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you. Thanks, Pamela. Have a good one. Hey, Mama. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, lawmother.com forward slash podcast for all the show notes and links you heard in today's episode. You'll also be able to get access to my free legal tool for you to name legal guardians for your children to protect them and have that peace of mind. It's all right there at lawmother.com.